Social anxiety kind of feels like everywhere you go, everything you do, you've already overstayed your welcome just by showing up. I even feel that way about the podcast. Like as soon as I start talking, I'm like, I have already overstayed my welcome in their ear holes. So wrap it up. Welcome to your social anxiety bestie, the show about showing up, even when we're scared. I'm Sadie, and I'm here to share the truth about what it's like to live with social anxiety disorder. I was diagnosed with severe social anxiety and perfectionism in 2018, and since then I've been nerding out on all things anxiety and healing. My goal is to help you feel less alone and give you tips to face your own social fears, wherever you are on your journey. I hope today's episode reminds you that even though social anxiety is lonely, you are not alone. Let's jump in. was quite the note to start the show on I know but hi I'm back I have to say talking about social anxiety when you have social anxiety is just the ultimate test and I'm perpetually caught in the struggle because I'm so passionate about talking about social anxiety I want to put myself out there I feel like not enough people know about it including people who may have it or struggle with it Not enough people are talking about it because of the nature of social anxiety, like it makes sense. Um, So I want to raise awareness because it's possible to feel better and less alone. But I am still on my own social anxiety journey. I know this is not the first time I've said this, if this is not your first episode, but I'm always having to overcome my own social anxiety just to show up. And I'm always struggling with feelings of my content, is not good enough. It's not interesting enough. It's too personal. It's not personal enough. It's not clickbaity enough. It's not tangible tip enough. <laughs> um, I'm talking too much. Uh, like it's, it's hard to show up consistently when showing up at all is scary. And I am okay with that. It's just hard sometimes. Like it's hard when it's hard, which obviously, obviously. Um, But I watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts where people just seem so outgoing and easy on camera, like obese to beast. I've started listening to some of his, uh, he does like like takedowns of diet culture or diet culture related videos that I've kind of found interesting. And I'm like, man, it must be so great to just be able to talk and... And that's it. Like, you're just talking. Words are coming out of your mouth and you're okay with it. Um, Anyway, that's a long intro. (laughs) I have been absent for a while, which you may or may not have noticed, because if you're just listening to the episodes in whatever order, then you may not have noticed that it's been like at least a month, I think, since I was here. Um, Yeah, the summer kind of got away from me and we decided, well, we bought a house and now we're selling our house and it's been a whole thing. I'll save life updates till the end of the episode so that anyone who's not interested doesn't have to, doesn't have to stay because, um, well, refer back to all my comments at the beginning about overstaying my welcome in your ear holes. (laughs) Okay. So what I would like to do for today's episode is 10 things that still scare me even though I have made a lot of progress with social anxiety. Because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, partly just because a lot of triggers have been coming up and 
Um, over on Instagram, I've, I, I started trying to do social anxiety challenges for myself and sharing them. So that got me thinking about, you know, what still scares me. Um, so I thought I would, I thought I would just give you guys 10 examples of things that I still struggle with and sort of some thoughts on them. Um, and I'm curious to hear if you can relate or what you would add to the list because different things trigger different people, right? Okay, so my number 10 is, oh no, let's not do that in that order. Let's do the other order. Okay, so number one is walking across a crowded room, especially with food in my hand. Uh, I thought of this one because the last weekend I was up in Ottawa staying with my in-laws while our house was on the market and we went to a food truck and you had to obviously order food at the food truck and the condiment table was there close to where you order but the tables were like all the way across a parking lot and we got set up with our food and then Jesse needed um, salt so I went and did that because he was going to stay with the kids and then the kids needed salt and I needed ketchup and basically I had to walk across this whole parking lot full of people with food in my hand um, three times and to someone without social anxiety or, or who just doesn't like get like this, that probably sounds like not a big deal at all. But it can be when you're self-conscious about how you walk in front of people and how you hold food and how much eye contact to make and whether you just smiled awkwardly at that other human. So that, that's one thing for me. Number two is serving myself at a buffet, especially with a line of people in front and behind. Uh, that brings up all sorts of things like, are they judging what I'm getting? How will I know if I like this? What will I do if I don't like it? Is there a garbage nearby? Am I going fast enough? Um, am I too close? I mean, I guess all these things like this buffet thing hasn't happened in a couple of years because pandemic. Um, but it, it has been stressful and probably will be again. Number three is when my husband gets really loud in public. Um, he's, he's, he's not an extrovert, but he's definitely not at all self-conscious in public or in social situations. So like the way he is in private is basically in a lot of ways, the way he is in public and people get loud sometimes. Uh, I'm not like that because like my, my public face when I'm not super comfortable is mostly to try to blend in and I get quiet and I worry a lot about, I don't know, looking inappropriate or something. So I just try not to draw attention to myself. But Jesse is not like that. He's fine to draw attention. He's fine to just be himself in the world. And I kind of envy that. But at the same time, if he's being loud, I will definitely get a little bit shushy and be like, stop that. Number four is unfamiliar, using an unfamiliar public restroom, um, especially if it's not, not one with many, many stalls, but one with one stall. And then I'll be like, how do I know if there's anybody in there? Did I knock loud enough? What if I, what if, what if I open the door and they forgot to lock it and their pants are down and then they're going to think that I'm a creeper? Or what if I get in there and then the door doesn't lock and... How, what if I can't sit on the toilet and reach the door at the same time to keep it held closed? Uh, what if someone comes in? What am I going to do? And all these things. So, yeah, 
that one. I obviously I, I try not to avoid all these things that scare me because avoidance just makes it worse. Avoidance makes social anxiety stronger. But there's a tipping point, you know. Like I I don't just always force myself to do terrifying things regardless of the situation, if that makes sense. Um, number five is having to go up to the counter of like a food kiosk or whatever to get napkins. Um, especially if I haven't bought food at that place. So for example, uh, on our road trip home from Ottawa, we stopped at, we have on routes where I live. So basically along the highway, there's gas stations. And then attached to that, there's a building with washrooms and, and food like Tim Hortons and Wendy's and Burger King and stuff like that. And my husband got a sandwich and we came and sat down and I had to get up to use the public restroom. And he said, oh, can you grab me some napkins on your way back? Um, Since I was going to be up anyway. And like, again, not a big deal to many, many humans. But to me, I was like, but I didn't, I didn't buy anything at Tim Hortons. And he said, well, just, you could just go to Starbucks. It's closer. I'm like, well, neither of us bought anything at Starbucks. They're definitely not going to give me any of their napkins. Uh, yeah. So then I went to the bathroom and I had to go through this whole scenario in my head about how I was going to ask and which place I was going to go to. I went to the Tim Hortons and just sort of stood there awkwardly. And the guy said, um, you order down there. And I said, oh, 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 no, I have food. Well, I mean, my husband has food over there, but we need napkins. And anyway, to me, it felt awkward. To him, it was absolutely no big deal. He was very friendly and just gave me lots of napkins. And then I tried to only take a couple of napkins and kind of made a mess of the napkins. So then he took some messy napkins back, which probably meant he had to throw them out. But I had already committed to only taking a couple. And yeah, I survived is, I guess, the point. Number six is registering my kids for their new school because we're moving. And... Um, we're moving, but we're moving not so far that I wouldn't be able to drive the kids to the new school. And I would prefer to start them in the new school in September rather than having them go to their old school, which they haven't really been too much because of the pandemic. Um, and like just have them there for a month and then go to a new school. It just seemed like too much, but it involved calling the new school board and then trying to figure out what school we're going to go to and calling the school and asking them if they would let me register my kids early even though we don't live there yet. And um, in the past, I would have procrastinated that task a long, long time. But I am very proud to say that I called. I made those, I made three phone calls the day that the administrative offices opened again, which was August 23rd. And um, I spoke to three people. Two of them were just, you know, neutral, neutral, polite people. And the third that I ended up talking to the most was super friendly and helpful. So... Yeah, I'm glad I did it. And the kids will be able to start at their new school in September. So that'll be great. Um, Number seven is eating across from someone I don't know very well. Um, So like I've, as, as restrictions are easing up, I'm able to see friends again. So I had supper with a friend that I hadn't seen in a couple of years. And, um, like very nice, very nice person, person I'm more or less comfortable with, at least as comfortable as I could be with another person. And we had burgers and I mean, it wasn't, wasn't that big a deal, but I was definitely doing excessive 
napkin to mouth wiping, um, like every bite, just as a nervous thing. Um, and worrying about stuff being in my teeth and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't debilitating or anything like that. It was just, it was just an awareness that I wasn't super at ease with the situation, but I ate my burger and it was delicious. So, and we had great conversation and sangria. So all in all, very successful encounter, I say. Um, kind of related to that, number nine. Oh, what number are we on? Oh, I think we're on number eight. <laughs> number nine. Oh my God. Number eight is one-on-one hangouts. Um, not like all one-on-one hangouts, but I just wanted to put this there because generally I find it more stressful to hang out one-on-one with someone than to hang out in a group or a smaller group, which I find kind of counterintuitive for someone with social anxiety. Like I would have thought that one-on-one would make more sense, but I actually find that it puts a lot more of the focus on me like this. It's 50-50, there's two people. So if the other person is not talking and they're waiting for someone to talk, I am the person that they are waiting for. And in a group, that's, that's not so much the case. There's, there's more, there are more people to share the conversation pie with. I don't have to eat a whole pie or talk a whole pie's worth. Anyway, um, actual number nine is asking for money, like charging for something. Um, so that could be, When I was doing editing, um, conversations about money were always kind of stressful. Um, It's coming up now because I'm trying to sort of turn the social anxiety stuff that I'm doing into a new career path. Um, And, you know, if I make money at it, then I can help more people because I can devote myself to this full time. But that involves asking for money and charging people for things. And then that brings up imposter syndrome. And yeah, so I, I definitely have an entrepreneurial spirit, but the imposter syndrome makes it very hard to be successful at it. And that is very scary and something I'm still dealing with. And I believe we're at number 10 now. And number 10 is asking for favors or for help or reaching out to family members for support, especially if it's a family member that I haven't talked to very recently. Um, it seems like, like my family on my dad's side is, is, I don't know if close knit is the word. I mean, some of them are for sure, but they're very, very helpful to each other and would be very helpful to me too, except that I'm very scared to reach out to them because the thought of inconveniencing someone or overstaying my welcome or overreaching, like those are, those are all huge fears of mine. So Um, when we had to go away this past weekend for the house to be on the market, it meant having to miss a family gathering with my dad's side of the family that I am very, very sad to have missed. And I really didn't want to miss it. And my husband said, well, why don't you just like ask a cousin or an aunt or an uncle if we can stay with them? And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I just couldn't reach out and say, Hey, like, do you guys have an extra room for a few days? And A lot of my social anxiety hangups or triggers I've come to terms with and I can accept, but this one was a hard pill to swallow that I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, So we ended up deciding to go up to Ottawa. Um, I looked into, you know, Airbnbs and ways to stay near where the gathering was going to be, 
without having to ask anyone if I could stay at their house, if we could stay at their house. But and anyway, we ended up going up to Ottawa, which meant we missed the thing. And when I was messaging people to let them know, um, one of the one of my cousins replied and said, oh, you know, you could stay in our in our basement guest room if you want for a few days. Um, by that point, I was already committed to going up to Ottawa. We'd already made arrangements and, you know, it confirmed that my family is awesome and willing to help. And yet I still wouldn't reach out and ask again. And I wouldn't have taken her, her up on this offer. And that kills me. And that is probably the biggest barrier still to a lot of my recovery. So I wanted to share that in case it's relatable. Well, I mean, I wanted to share all of that in case it's relatable. Um, was that number 10? I've completely lost track because on the fly, I skipped one. I was also going to add that selling my house is, has been stressful because like anytime a person would come over, I would get stressed about my house being judged. Um, but that was, you know, often mind reading on my part. This time when the house is on the market and people are coming through it to decide whether to spend money on it, they are literally judging my house like for sure. So that was very stressful. Okay. I'm going to assume that that was about 10 items and then just not listen back to this episode where I get all weird about what number I'm on. (laughs) So let me know if you can relate to any of those. I am going to continue on to a life update now. So there's a few different things that I would love to update you about if you are interested. Um, the This part of the episode is just going to be very personal, very, you know, life, I mean, life update. So if that interests you, great. Continue listening. Continue allowing me to exist in your ear holes. Um, well, we sold our house, which I've already kind of mentioned, and we're moving. Um, I live in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and we're moving to a nearby city, which is called Burlington. And the reason we're moving, as much as it kind of hurts us, because we love the area that we live in and we love our neighbors so much, it is a community here that we are leaving behind, and that part is sad. Um, But we're moving because my husband works in downtown Toronto, which is sort of like the nearest big, big city. And the commute from where we live now is like 90 minutes each direction, at least very expensive. So basically he doesn't see the kids during the week or like he wouldn't, you know, when things go back to normal and people go back to the office right now, he's just working from home, but it was not a sustainable commute. And we kind of knew that when he took the job. So we are moving a little closer, um, but very importantly, we are moving closer on the go train system and we're moving very, very close to a station. So really it will save about an hour each way, we think. And that will make a big difference. But it means leaving leaving this home that we live in, this home that I escaped to, um, what, 11 years ago before I even knew about social anxiety. I just knew that I didn't feel safe in the world. And I moved here with Jesse and I started feeling safe in the world and safe with another person and this became home. This is where we had our babies and it is a big, big deal to be leaving. And I, it's for the right reasons, but it's, it's bittersweet. So yeah, bittersweet. There is good and there is sad. Um, part of the good is that 
moving to Burlington, I'm hoping that I might be able to join a master's swim team that they have there because I used to swim on a master's swim team when I lived in Ottawa. And master's swim team means anyone who's 18 or, or older. My favorite stroke to swim is butterfly. Um, I got to go to um, the national master's swimming competition. We had it in Nanaimo, BC. I think it was in 2010. And I got to swim uh, 50 meter butterfly, 100 meter butterfly, and 200 meter butterfly. And admittedly, I was in a very small age group, but I did place second in the 100 meter butterfly in my favorite ever race. And um, I would love to go back into a competitive swimming environment knowing what I know now about anxiety and about managing my mental health because none of that was on my radar and often I would just burn through all my energy before I even started a race because I was so anxious. Plus now I've got a husband who knows tons about um, like visualization and the mental resiliency and mental fitness components of competitions. So I think that could be so much fun. Um, so I'm going to be looking into that. Uh, another update I would like to give, this one is super personal and I went, I've been going back and forth on whether or not to include it, but I'm just going to include it because if you're a podcast listener, then um, that's already kind of a pretty personal connection. Podcasts I think are, are so much more intimate than a YouTube video and yeah, if you're listening, it means you care or you're interested at least. So many, many episodes back, I talked about us trying to decide if we were going to have another kid, if we're going to try to grow from a family of four to a family of five. And I'm not going to go into, into the whole decision process that I already talked about in that episode, but we were just, I was just wondering about the mental health effects of getting pregnant again, because the postpartum periods were among the hardest on my mental health. And then on the flip side of that, you know, I, I really was eager or at least curious to experience pregnancy and, and having a baby while my mental health is good. While I've, you know, I've learned all these things, what would it feel like to be pregnant and have a new baby when I am mentally healthy and I have all these tools? Um, because I kind of white knuckled my way through it with, with my first two. So Anyway, I had left that podcast episode on a note of, we'll see, um, we'll see what, if we decide to try or not. And, um, yeah, I talked about, you know, talking to a women's health concerns clinic about mental health support if I were to get pregnant and talked about medication considerations. So I, I did all that. Um, we decided that we wanted to try. Um, so I went off birth control last November and we've been trying since then with with no success. <laughs> um, so that's what, nine, 10 months at this point, which feels like a lot when you're on the continuing to not get pregnant side of things. Um, objectively, is it a lot? I don't I don't know. I know a lot of couples take a long time to get pregnant. We were kind of spoiled with our first two because, well, I mean, I was six, six years younger for our first. We got pregnant pretty much right away, which was, I was very excited and grateful for. It happened pretty easily for my daughter as well. 
Uh, this time, not so much. This time, a lot of things are not the way they used to be, and I'm not going to go to TMI into that, but things are just different. And I'm not sure I can get pregnant, and our doctor has referred us to a fertility center if that is what we want to do, and I don't know if that's what I want to do. Um, I'm 35, which it doesn't seem like it should be too old to be able to get pregnant, but at the same time, our youngest is about to turn five, and we had said we didn't want a super big age gap so it's it's less a case of i'm too old to get pregnant um it's not going to happen for us because it didn't happen in 10 months because i know it takes longer for lots of couples and i know that lots of couples get pregnant older um it's more just like for the stage our family is at does it make sense to keep trying we had said we were going to try until september and if it didn't happen and it wasn't meant to happen now we're at september so it's tough, especially because my period was four days late this month and I really thought I was pregnant and I tried not to get too invested in the idea, but I couldn't help it and I was very excited and then my period came and we are not pregnant and the typical response that a lot of people probably hear in this situation is to be grateful for the kids that you have and I am. Um, a lot of people struggle to get pregnant even once, and I don't want to be insensitive to that, especially if that's been your situation. Um, at the same time, I mean, one of my, my best friends told me, you know, you can feel both things. You can be extremely grateful for the beautiful, healthy children you have and still feel sad that you're not getting pregnant. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess I won't keep going on too long about this topic, but I do know that a lot of my listeners are women and I just, I just wanted to share because you're my people. Um, okay. So let's move on to something a little less heavy. Um, if you have been listening for a while, you may remember that I've been sort of hemming and hawing about what I'm going to do. Am I going to try to become a social anxiety coach? or a confidence coach for shy people? Am I gonna to go to grad school to become a therapist that hopefully could specialize in social anxiety? Am I going to try to reboot my editing? I'm pretty sure I've like said I was gonna do all three at one point. <laughs> so yeah, I have put grad school on at least deferring it for now. I'm not gonna do it in September. I am still interested in editing, but the struggle with editing is how much it triggers my perfectionism. Um, right now, the one I'm most interested in is the coaching or the mentoring, like working one-on-one -on -one with people who are struggling with maybe mild to moderate social anxiety. Um, obviously, you know, when I had severe social anxiety, what helped me was therapy and medication. And I can't offer that as a coach or as a mentor. So I wouldn't be able to necessarily help people that were in the same situation exactly that I was in, but I still think that as a complement to therapy or as a continue, like as something after someone's been to therapy or so before therapy, if therapy is not available, like there's lots of different ways that I think that a social anxiety mentor could fit into someone's mental health toolkit. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going now. Um, I've been working on my website and I'm going to add like a bestie session, which would be a one-on-one -on -one session where we would talk about social anxiety challenges, um, troubleshooting, 
just basically talking about what is it like to live with social anxiety? What might help? What has helped me? What could help you? What, like, you know, what might your goals be? What would it look like if you felt better? Um, really just trying to discover and connect with the way Ellen Hendrickson says it, the person you are without fear. So that's kind of my dream at this point is to help people with that. I'm still fine tuning it all, obviously, but that's where I'm going with that. Um, and sort of tied into that is a bit of a, maybe not a rebrand, but a fine tuning of my Patreon. So my Patreon basically so far has been focused on the socially awkward book club, and that's still going to be there, but it's being wrapped into something bigger, which is called the social anxiety besties club. And it's the same price, but, um, instead of making the focus books, um, books will now become part of it or will remain part of it, but there will also be community, which I think a lot of people with social anxiety really, really need. Um, just like a place where you can be among people who understand and who also want to sort of face their social fears and figure out who they are when they're not afraid. Um, so there's going to be like a weekly live stream with me in a private Facebook group and a weekly Zoom hangout so that, you know, people who want to turn on their cameras or, or not turn on their cameras, but speak, will have the chance to practice that as well. And just like chat with me. And I think it's going to be really, really cool. So that stuff is starting to happen in September. Um, I'll do sort of a more prepared uh, pitch or <laughs> description in a future episode, but I wanted to let you guys know that that's the direction that that's going in. And I really hope that you'll check it out and stick around if you're already in it, because I have really been enjoying it. And the last thing I wanted to leave you on is just a random story that I have been meaning to tell someone for months and keep forgetting. And it's on my mind right now. So you guys are going to get to hear it. Okay. I've been going to physio for, I don't know, six or seven weeks now. Um, usually I go very early on a Friday morning. And when I first started going to this clinic, um, there was a sign, like a printed out sign on the front door that said, beware of raccoon. And there was a picture of a raccoon and I can't imitate it. I can't imitate it for you visually because you can't see me, but it was like a raccoon's mugshot, basically. And it said, beware raccoon. And it didn't give any other information. So I had all these questions like, what's this raccoon doing that he requires a, like a wanted poster on the entrance to the building? Like, is he doing something like that normal, normal raccoon, like abnormal raccoon behavior? Like, does he, does he come up to people and be like, hey, give me your money? Um, I don't know. What is, what is this raccoon doing? Is there just one raccoon? Is it like a whole gang of raccoons that patrol the, the physiotherapy clinic area? Like, and then after a few weeks, the sign came down with no explanation. So now I'm like, did someone take a hit out on this raccoon? What happened to the raccoon? Did like, did they just move on? I need, I need to know about this raccoon. Um, but I can't ask anybody at the clinic because I feel weird going up to the receptionist and saying, do you remember when you had a mugshot of a raccoon on your front door and now you don't? I need to know the story there. Maybe that doesn't sound awkward, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. But I'll never know about this 
uh, Hamilton's most wanted raccoon that was, anyway, that's all. That's the story. That's the raccoon story. I'm glad that someone got to hear it. I feel much better now getting that off my chest. Okay, <laughs> that's all. That's my update. That's my episode. Thank you for being here, and I will see you next time. Bye! Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, and I hope you found it helpful. Anxiety thrives on avoidance, and we can take back our power by just showing up like you did today. Remember that you are probably underestimating how strong and wonderful you are, and you're probably overestimating how perfect and put together other people are. So show up scared. Show up imperfect. Just show up. And while you're at it, come find me on Instagram at your social anxiety bestie so we can be awkward together. <laughs>